Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and today we're going to talk about mentors and mentorship. And I came up with this idea, uh, I don't know, it was a couple weeks ago, but it was something in the back of my mind for quite a while. And the main idea here is to find people that you trust and then make them your mentor. The big problem is most people that have accomplished something and they're sharing their knowledge and you find them interesting and you want to learn from them, well, they're fucking busy. And uh, they probably (laughs) won't have the time to be your mentor. They're probably successful in some capacity, which may or may not be in the business sense. It could be something totally different, which I have a story to share the first sort of like virtual mentorship that I remember getting. I didn't even think about it at the time. Now, a lot of people are going to think, well, I want, I want direct contact with whoever is going to be my mentor. It'd be great, you know, if you lived in the same town and you could actually meet in person. That's great. But the virtual world, the fact that we're all connected so easily makes it what opens everything up. So you don't have to be located anywhere close to each other. You can have this sort of mentorship relationship across the world, right? As long as the time zones match up. Now, this direct sort of virtual mentorship, you could pay for it. Of course, you know, that's probably the most uh, likely situation. Again, if you're listening to this, you're probably somewhat in the online marketing world, whether it's like websites or some some form of entrepreneurship or self-employment or getting started with a side hustle. All those kind of fit together. You're working for yourself in some capacity. And the direct mentorship kind of thing where you're getting it for free is quite rare. You know, it, it's very rare where someone is going to take the time out of their day to just mentor you especially online. And part of it is just like the culture, right? So I I do some stuff online, my peers do things online, and we typically have to monetize it somehow. Otherwise, it's just a hobby. And that is fine. It can be a hobby, but the the downside to that and why it is extremely rare for me just to mentor someone without them paying me or without some other content coming out of it, right? So some of the the coaching that I do for the show here, it's not, I don't have um, people pay me extra. We're creating content. So it all kind of fits together and they get value. I get value. You get value. So traditional win-win-win situation. So the the hard part is if I wanted to mentor a lot of people, all the people that asked me for it, and I didn't get any content out of it. They didn't pay me. Uh, unfortunately, I would very quickly run out of time. I would burn out and I would be doing like free coaching calls indefinitely all the time. And it's just a route to burnout. It's a route to just stopping everything and not doing that. So that's the downside with the direct mentorship. You can pay for it. You can pay for direct coaching. If you take a course, a lot of times there's some coaching option available. So check that out if you're interested. Now, what I'm going to cover today is indirect 
virtual mentorship. And this is what I have apparently executed extremely well over the last, I would say, 15 years. And it started way back. It started way back when I began listening to podcasts and takes us to a different hobby, and that is drinking, drinking alcohol, and more specifically, brewing beer. So when I got started brewing beer in 2007, I didn't know anything at all. It was cool, though, because podcasts, they came out, I think, 2005, 2006. People can fact check me on that. But around that time frame, it was a different world back then. Very few podcasts. And I think if you just like showed up and created something that was audible, like you, you would you would get listeners. And I listened to basically all the beer podcasts back then. And my my first mentors, it was primarily uh basic brewing, right? So they had a video podcast, which was amazing because I had one of those old school iPods and you could get video on there. And I was still working my corporate job at the time and actually traveling. So I had a lot of downtime. I had a lot of time to listen to podcasts, watch podcasts. And actually, I specifically remember this. Like this is how deep the mentorship runs. I remember watching Basic Brewing, James Spencer, on my iPod in a hotel in Overland Park, Kansas. So I was I was traveling at the time and I was actually traveling by myself. No no one else on my team was there. Everything was virtual. I actually don't know why they flew me out there other than the budget was there because I didn't meet anyone in person. The only transition that I got was from another vendor who was just turning the role over to me. So they they also flew in and also did not meet with anyone there. So it was like just a huge waste of money. So anyway, I remember watching James Spencer learning about homebrewing when I was sitting in the hotel drinking a beer from, I think, Boulevard Brewing. Right? So I, I specifically remember this. So anyway, I also listened to the Brewing Network and they had a, several shows. They had five or six shows at, at one point. Some of them are still going on. But the cool part is there were experts and they were sharing their knowledge. And in the homebrewing industry and I guess the full community, like there's a lot of sharing of information. So the good part, at least if you come from a, a certain school of thought, the more you share the information with other people, the better they will brew their beers. And that means you will be able to drink better beer. There, there will be better beer around you all the time and it raises the level. So I actually remember, you know, back then when I first started judging beer, 2009 or so, you know, the beers weren't as good. Like nowadays, homebrewers have, you know, much better ingredients. The whole, it, all the knowledge is much higher. There have been, you know, dozens of books written in the last 15 years about homebrewing and just everything is much better. So that was sort of my first experience. And, and the thing is like, I never called in. I never met the people um, until I went to a conference and just kind of waved at him and said, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I support you guys. I 
I paid him like $5 a month for like three years, something like that. And I listened to hundreds, not no exaggeration, hundreds of hours of their content. And it was awesome. And, and really, I viewed those guys as my mentors. They were sharing all of their knowledge just like just like I tried to do with you, right? So I'm trying to share as much as I can, but basically it's like if I was sitting and having a beer with them and asking them about a certain style of beer, what they did, the tricks, not even tricks, but really it's like, hey, I made a mistake. Don't make this mistake. Usually that's the trick is just, hey, don't make the same mistake as me. So I listened to hundreds of hours and became a pretty good brewer. I've won uh, lots of awards back when I entered those competitions. And I didn't realize it until whatever, a few weeks ago when I came up with this idea, the brewing area was where I first had virtual indirect mentors out there. So number one, it came from, you know, podcast. So pretty easy medium, you know, hopefully you're listening to this or watching it now. And some of those guys wrote books. So I ended up reading a few of those books. You end up with a more refined output because it goes through the editing process and it's usually a little bit more dense than a podcast ever. You don't get as much personality coming through. The other area, which I didn't get into so much because there weren't as many like YouTube channels in the brewing area, but I watched a handful of videos out there. Technology has come a long way. You know, cameras are cheaper. Hell, you could shoot uh, just about everything you need on your cell phone now. You could just buy a cell phone and like upload directly, maybe do some light editing. But like the technology has come so far. So I didn't get as much out of YouTube back in those days for brewing, but the podcast and books served a lot. Now, in that particular community, there were a few magazines that were pretty popular. I mean, I think they're still fairly popular. The magazines don't matter. They're, they're actually print magazines, and you can buy them at Barnes & Noble or get a subscription. They'll send it to your house every month. But those articles were typically written by people in the community. There were a handful of professional journalist in the brewing industry, but a lot of it came from the community. So someone like me might get obsessed with brewing Belgian beers, and I would maybe run some tests between, say, different yeast and different temperatures, and I would have some data. Some people would publish it on a blog. Sometimes people would take that, maybe get more information from other people, compare it, and then propose an article. So I was also learning from those articles. Again, you end up with the written word. It's a little more dense. It's a little bit easier to communicate certain things. Like if there was a chart or a graph, obviously it's much easier to have that in a printed book or a magazine, but you also didn't get the same kind of like sort of one-on-one -on -one feel, that kind of relationship that you do get from a podcast or a YouTube channel, depending on the channel and how they do it. So this is also what happened as I 
literally got burned out from the home brewing podcast. I mean, I was a I was a very very obsessed person. So I was listening to I don't know, five or six hours of these brewing podcasts a day. You know, I'd listen while I was walking outside, maybe while I was uh, commuting, if I happened to be driving around back in those days. And I was also um, just studying up, trying to become as knowledgeable as I could about certain brewing things. But I burned out. Different story for a different day. But I got a little too deep and I was just doing all this beer stuff all the time super fun. And then I was like, you know what? I need a break. I want to do something different. And that is the story that you've heard potentially if you're a longtime listener. I was literally on my iPhone walking my old dog Brody and I was trying to find a new podcast to listen to. So I was literally just like browsing the iTunes catalog, hopped over to business, had no interest in side hustles, entrepreneurship, anything like that. I found Smart Passive Income, downloaded like the first couple episodes there, and then I was hooked. You know, blink my eyes, it's been 10 years. Eventually, I started a few websites, got laid off, started my own podcast, blog, YouTube channel, and, you know, here we are. But it was exactly the same thing. I found Pat Flynn, listened to a bunch of his episodes, felt like a really solid connection. I first thought all this stuff was kind of scammy. Sounds scammy, you know? I didn't know anyone that was earning money online. And I just heard this guy, Pat Flynn, talking about starting websites and how straightforward it was. And within like a month or so, I started my first site. Like many shows, he interviewed people and I would hop off and check out that person's blog or that person's podcast, if they happen to have one. And, you know, Pat was my mentor from afar. I quickly found Spencer Hawes, who has been on the show a couple of times, and I've even told him, hey, we haven't met in person, but like you were my mentor. I listened to all of Spencer's episodes and listened to him multiple times, right? Trying to get that last little nugget of information, trying to read the nuance. I don't know. I found it valuable and I really was obsessed and I learned a ton. Same deal with uh, blogs, right? So especially at the time, people were blogging quite a bit about, you know, what they were doing with their niche sites, different link building case studies, content case studies. At the time, a lot of gray hat link building was going on. So there were strategies with that. And, you know, I just, I read as much as I could. Now, the one downside with the blogs is you do end up with the, I'll just be straight and say, with the subpar content, typically, similar to a podcast, a lot of times, depending on the blog, it's not going through any lengthy editing process. Hell, I never did. I mean, I would draft something up. Maybe I would edit it twice. Maybe sometimes I would just write it, hit publish, send it out to the email list, call it good enough. It was rare when I actually spent a editing cycle or you know just multiple iterations. Some blogs and some people that are more professional, well, they do that, but it's pretty rare. I mean, you're talking about like a content house at that point where 
they're actually, you know, maybe they came from a journalism background and they they know how to, you know, write and edit and publish and make sure you end up with the, the best content possible. But of a lot of us bloggers, we're just, we're doing our shit and then we're trying to document it as much as possible and not spend too much time on it. The point being, the blogs weren't necessarily as high quality as a book, right? The downside, right, especially in the entrepreneurship, earn money online world, if it is a written book, it is almost certainly out of date. I mean, I remember when I was getting into this stuff, I would go to the Bozeman Public Library when I lived up in Montana, and there would be marketing books, some things that they're more generic, you know, they stand the test of time. And then it's like how to rank in Google, but it was written in whatever, 2009. And I was seeing the book on the shelf in like 2016. So obviously it's like completely wrong. A lot of the information is just off. So it's a little bit of a trade-off. And I think in a lot of ways, podcast and YouTube kind of serve that area. Not always uh, as far as the, the quality level, but some people do a really, not necessarily this show, but some people do a really good job putting together the information and they do treat it as an iterative process where they're doing more research and that sort of thing. I occasionally do some research, but usually I just talk. I wanted to make this very sustainable for myself. So that was, you know, that was part of it, just understanding my work style, my work ethic, and where my interests lie. So it has been, you know, there's a shift every now and then. Sometimes I need a break. Interviews are always good. And that's where I think a lot of people get their learning. At least I did when an expert interviews people on the ground, doing work, testing things. Maybe they have a lot more data than some of the people that are running podcasts just because they run an agency or they have a bunch of clients in some capacity. Or maybe they're just really obsessed and they can do a bunch of testing right? So that is the main idea. Here's what you can do. You can, I don't really advise this because especially in this industry, I think you're not going to have much luck. If you email someone, cold email, definitely not going to work. If you happen to have a relationship with a person and you were like, hey, can you mentor me, please? Most people are going to be like, that's a vague ask. It sounds like a big time commitment with nothing in return. And it's not like you're mentoring someone at your job where you're, you know, bringing somebody up and you can really see them grow. You know, in the online world, it's a little bit different. And it didn't occur to me until, you know, I started preparing to do this show. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's not that I don't want to help people. It's just, there's too many and it's, it's honestly, it's too hard to figure out how to process all the incoming requests. So even if there were some good candidates, and I'm curious for other influencers out there in potentially in your industry or this one, right? If you're an internet marketing person that produces content, very curious 
how you deal with it. Because even if I wanted to, there's too many requests to sort through it and figure out what's worthwhile not. Which sounds harsh when I say it because everyone's probably trying to do their best. They took a chance, you know, they reach out and they say, hey, can you mentor me? And I'm like, fuck, I don't have time. Like I can't, I can't mentor everyone. I can't mentor, you know, anyone. I want to do other stuff, right? I'm, I've built an online business so that I can do other things besides work. And it's completely unrelated to mentoring people. So anyway, what you can do, and I think a lot of people do this, I'm a podcast listener myself, and you can pick who you want to follow. You can check out their interviews. Maybe they don't have a podcast, right? So maybe they don't have a podcast, but maybe they are guests or they are a guest on podcast, multiple podcasts. So this is something that I've done. A couple of quick examples, uh, Ramit Sethi. So he has a podcast now, but he didn't for years. So I would check out his interviews. And then at one point I was like, I want to find all his interviews. I didn't listen to them all, but I found a couple dozen interviews that he's done over the years, downloaded all of those. And it was pretty cool to see the progression. Another, you know, example more recently, is uh, Mr. Money Mustache. So I know this guy named Pete Aidney who lives in the same town, but he has a very popular blog in the financial independence retire early space. And at one point I was like, I want to check out some of his other interviews, especially after I moved to town and got to know him a little bit. I was like, I haven't actually followed um, a lot of his blogging and writing and so on but I really like podcasts. So I checked out sort of his back catalog of podcast interviews. He doesn't have his own show, but he's been on a lot of shows in the past, has some YouTube interviews and different presentations out there too. So when I was going to interview him, I was like, I need to do my homework. I'm going to go check those out. So you can be smart about finding more content from people. You know, nothing crazy, right? Just go search for it figure out who you want to follow and search for it. Another one, which I, I didn't realize that I picked up such a big influence from this person, a guy named Derek Sivers. So he was featured in the second edition of the four-hour work week. There's some expanded chapters, some additional case studies, and Derek Sivers was one of those. He sold his company called CD Baby in 2008. I started listening to the Tim Ferriss show pretty much when it launched. I think I, I started within a couple weeks or so. And Derek Sivers was one of the guests pretty early, pretty early guest. And then I was like, wow, this guy's pretty cool. He was on a couple times. He had a few interviews out there too, but I didn't go seek him out. I didn't find his other presentations, because he actually was a prolific speaker for a little while. I didn't go seek those out. I just heard a handful of the interviews. He has a blog that he wrote a lot. I didn't go find that either. He actually wrote a book in like 2010 or 11 as well. I didn't know any of that. I just listened to a handful of interviews. He was on a couple shows in the last year or so. And I was like, 
man, I forgot how much I identify with his approach. I then went back to some of those interviews that I listened to in 2014 or 15 from Derek on other shows. And I thought, holy shit, he's saying things that I now say. I internalized what he was sharing. And I was like, that's smart. I remember hearing him say, ah, you know what? People are like, hey, do you want to meet at this time? You must be really busy. You must not have much time. And he's like, yeah, actually, that's fine. I have plenty of time. I've designed my day so that I have a lot of free time. I literally do that. People are like, hey, you're really, you're quite busy. Um, You probably don't have time to go grab a beer. Always got time to grab a beer, right? But but I'm not typically that busy. And I know there's a little bit of conflict here, right? Because I said, I don't have time to mentor people, yet I have tons of free time. Mentoring, um, you know, hundreds of people, again, every request that comes in, that's just not what I'm trying to do. And it would quickly get out of hand. I've tried some of this before, all right? I'll, uh, I'll mention something. So when I first got started, I was like, I want to provide as much value as possible, right? So I was starting to blog. People were on the email list. They were like, hey, I have this question about this or that. I'm like, let's meet. Set up a call. We would meet. I would give them some advice. And then, like, hey, check in in a little while. I'd hear from them in a few months. They're like, hey, I got another question for you, blah, blah, blah. Great. How did it go based on what we talked about before? Did you execute the things that we talked about? They're like, no, I heard some other people said that they would do this and I decided not to do it. And I'm like, well, if you're not going to value my advice, then I don't have time to do that. So I've tried a little bit. Anyway, the point is Derek Sivers, awesome. If you haven't checked him out, you should. And I know that a lot of the things that I have adopted as like my my principles or how how my values shape the work that I do or how I spend my time. A lot of it has to do with some stuff that Derek mentioned and I thought I identify more with that than I do with being super busy to maximize your profits at all costs, right? There's some people that are like, you got to, you know, a hundred and some odd hours per week that you're not sleeping should be working that whole time. And that's just not what I'm trying to do. So find people that you want to learn from. Pick the medium that you want. I assume that you like podcasts and or YouTube if you are hearing me say this. So find people in that space. Find all the stuff that they've worked on in the past. If you go the YouTube route and it's a channel similar to mine, you may find a huge library of content out there. A handful of us have been doing this for a few years, so you're going to find hundreds or thousands of videos, which could be a little bit tough to sort through. We weren't as savvy in the beginning as far as like titling, but you can go to someone's channel and be sort of strategic on your search queries and find topics that you're interested in. So that would be my advice. Like if you're interested in project management ideas 
on my channel, then you could search for project management, something related to that, I don't know, prioritization, different topic areas, and you may find some things. It's a little bit too much to go through someone's hundreds of videos and try to figure out the value, especially like a lot of my videos are pretty long. Other channels may have much shorter bite-sized videos that you actually could consume five to 15 or 20 minutes or so instead of my, I have many that are an hour or so long. Podcast, cool. You know, you can go search for those. There's a lot in people's back catalogs as well. Depending on the topic area, you may have to tread lightly and think about how much that topic area has changed over the years. For example, if you are thinking about authority sites, niche sites, SEO in general, a lot of those things have shifted quite a bit. So if a topic is more than like a year old or so, or a show piece of content is more than a year old, it may be pretty out of date and you're better off checking out some of the newer stuff. That said, some ideas are more timeless and they don't shift as much. So you could go back and listen to a productivity episode from almost any podcast. And hopefully if they did a good job, there are some evergreen, timeless ideas in there that are not super dependent on anything that has changed a lot. Could be a tool that they reference is now no longer used, or there's a better one out there. But if they're covering the core ideas, the tool doesn't matter as much, and you'd be able to transfer that somewhere else. Books, I can't emphasize it enough. It's one of those things that I now, well, any book that I'm interested in, I will buy it. Typically, there's so much value in a book that if I just get one idea out of it, it is worth the 10 to $20 that most books cost. I encourage people to do that. If you like the you know printed book, that's cool. Hell, go to your library too. There's a lot of good books in libraries, especially if it's a more general sort of topic area. You can just go, to, go check it out. Um, also, a lot of people have access to the libraries ebooks sometimes are available on kindle sometimes it's a specific app overdrive i think is being retired there's another app that i use called libby so you know take advantage of those like i mentioned before the downside with books is you potentially don't get as much personality coming through however you end up with a more polished output and product and There have been multiple people iterating, editing, making sure that the information is correct. You're going to end up with a better product. So I really encourage people to read more. If you're not much of a reader, you should get into it. I didn't read much until I think it was like 2014, something like that. I was starting to read a little bit more. I would always read like the brewing books, right? could pick one of those up, read it in an afternoon, use it as I was brewing and all that. But I wasn't big on fiction until 2014, 2015. Now, I probably read at least 30 minutes a day, sometimes closer to an hour, depending on what's going on. 
And I actually want to step that up. I actually want to read more. I got tons of books behind me. There's some books that I would love to reread. And there's probably, I don't know, unfortunately, there's probably like 20 books back there that I haven't read at all. Like I bought it and I was like, all right, I'm going to read this book. And then just lost the enthusiasm to read it. But I think like the ideal situation is like if I had one day a week where instead of doing any kind of, you know, quote, work, I read, took some notes. So that brings us to another point. There's a ton of different places you can get this information from, right? Podcast, books, YouTube, maybe a blog, anything, you know, the person is putting out there. But what do you do with it, right? You listen to it or you consume it in some way, but if you don't do anything with it, there's a good chance you're not going to execute on it. Even if it's hugely inspiring, right? And you're like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And then you finish listening to the podcast. I'm talking about things that I've done. You finish listening to the podcast. You think it's so good. You actually don't start another show or anything. You just turn it off and you're like, wow. I'm so inspired. I'm definitely going to do that thing. Maybe I'm walking outside, get home, take my phone out, drink some water or something. Completely fucking forget the whole thing. It never even occurs to me to do anything about it, even though I was so inspired. So if you have a solution to that, let me know, because that happens like once a week. The better thing to do, and one thing that I have tried is uh, just bringing like a little uh, small notepad around with me, which I don't have one handy, but it's, um, imagine it the size of like two um, post-it notes together, like two three by three post-it notes. Not very big. It's like one of those moleskin flexible cover ones. You could pick anything though. You could put post-its in your pocket. It actually doesn't matter at all what it is, but I will actually write down a couple things on my walk. I stop walking or if I'm walking through a store, I stop, write the thing down so I can come back to it later. The overall idea is to take some notes and maybe journal a little bit. So here's a quick thing that you could do. If you're not into journaling, another thing you should do, read, journal. But you can have sort of this inspiration, hopefully you could distill it down into one or two sentences, the thesis of whatever the thing that inspired you is. One or two sentences, right? Not much. Put in your own words, right? Forcing you to process the information versus like writing it down verbatim. You're processing it. You're thinking about it a little bit more. You're putting it in your own words. Great. Then journal about it. It's not for anyone else. No one's going to read it. If you journal and you're like, oh, this is interesting. Here are a couple points that it makes me think of. Here are some pros. Here are some cons. Here's how I can implement it in my life, in my business, for my company, for my family, whatever, right? Whatever is relevant. But like you're, you're starting to not only process the idea and think about it, putting it in your own words for the thesis, But then you're riffing on it, thinking about the good things, you're thinking about the bad things, and the cool stuff happens then. So if you kind of get into the habit of this, then you're thinking about 
how these inspiring ideas apply to your life. And then if you're consuming other stuff because you have multiple mentors, right? You will start drawing parallels. You'll see threads that run from one person to another to another. You can start combining those ideas. That's when you end up with some unique ideas. Maybe it's not like completely unique, but you're combining like three different ideas from different interviews, different books, whatever it is. And then you can look back at your notes and you're like, oh yeah, this con from this one topic area is actually taken care of. That con does not exist anymore because of this pro from topic uh, D that came up sometime later. And it's all just kind of, you know, floating around in your brain, hopefully. And you're coming up with these better ideas all through this virtual mentorship where you're getting all this information from people. They don't even know you exist. So that is my, that's my thesis, right? You can get all this great mentorship from afar without taking up any time from that person. And if you do shoot me an email, I love to get them. I reply to almost all of them unless there's some kind of pitch that I'm completely uninterested in. But if you're actually a listener and you're like, hey, these come in. Hey, I got value from your show. I learned this stuff. I implemented it. I've never emailed you before. And uh, I've listened to you for like four years. Those come in fairly often. It's pretty cool. I've sent some of those myself. And full circle, you know, I was talking about Derek Sivers. I listened to a ton of his stuff, never contacted him, even though he says in all his interviews and in his books that you can shoot him an email and he replies back. And sure enough, I shot him an email, kept it short. It was bullet points, you know. He's a busy dude. He gets a lot of emails. He emailed me back in under 12 hours. It was nuts. And it made me feel bad because I sometimes take weeks to get back to people. I do get back, but I emailed Derek and he was like, that's great. Good to meet you. Thanks for sharing. You know, appreciate the support or whatever. So find your mentors out there. Get obsessed. Listen to all their stuff. Find people that, you know, they listen to. I encourage you to check out Derek's stuff or anyone else that I mentioned. If you haven't checked out Smart Passive Income or Niche Pursuits or whatever, check those shows out. I think that's it for today. Thanks for listening. If you, you know, I haven't, I haven't asked for this in a while, leave a uh, review over on wherever you listen, you know, iTunes, I think Spotify is pretty popular. Can't really leave a review on YouTube. A lot of people watch there, but you can, you know, make sure you're subscribed to the channel. It helps out a little bit. I, I don't know. I think it's good to see uh, reviews if someone's trying to find a show and they see positive reviews. Usually that's good. I don't ask too much, but if you haven't left one, that would be cool. And finally, if you have a show topic idea, feedback at doug.show, shoot me an email. I usually, um, unless it's a really bad idea, I'll do a show on the topic. I have several. You can send a question. I do mailbags occasionally. And uh, yeah, let me know what you're interested in. 
We'll catch you on the next episode.